Great to be together to study God's holy word this morning. We grab your Bibles and turn with me to the letter of Ephesians, towards the back of your Bibles there in the New Testament, written by Paul to the believers in the region of Ephesus. We will finish chapter 4 today, verse 32, in our 50th sermon of this series. What a joy it has been. God has done so much in and through us, and I look forward to what he has in store for us this morning. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the fellowship, um, the bond that we have because of Christ, because of Christ's work to free us from bondage to our sin, to link us together as one body, one united family, called to live for you in your glory, equipped and sanctified to mature in faith and life and disciple-making, testify your gospel. And so we look to your word this morning uh, with uh, a real true hunger that you, the living God, would be at work. The Holy Spirit would stir conviction and inspiration to be obedient to these things, not just hearers of these things, but doers um, looking forward to putting these things to work, not making excuses, not getting busy with temporal priorities, but to be about your business, Lord. We thank you for your good word, for um, providing it to us in our language that we can study it and know it. Thank you for my time of study and preparation this week on such an important topic as Paul gives here in verse 32. Um, thank you. For your work in us. Here we are, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says this Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Here in verse 32, Paul directs his brothers and sisters who are in Christ, in this region of Ephesus that he's writing, that they would be kind and tender-hearted to one another, that they would forgive one another. He's commending believers to practice what's known as the one another's. Over 60 times this phrase, one another, is used in the New Testament. These imperative commands show us this beautiful picture of God's intention for His redeemed and how we would prioritize our lives, how we would live our lives in these days He gives us. Think about this with me. The Almighty God, holy and perfect and worthy, chose us, each of us, whom He's given saving faith, He's, he's chose us and brought us into something very special. A family that is very special. It's unlike any other family. The eternal family of God. We have a unity in this family. Empowered by Christ. A very special relationship with one another. He wants us to value this dearly, to protect it, to invest into it, to cultivate it. 
And right away we can begin to see how we might be guilty of allowing our Christianity to be really so focused on us as individuals. And, and maybe it's just some of the routines that we let church or, or, or our Christian practices kind of become. And, and there's a, a, a togetherness, a unity, an involvement he wants us to have. It's essential, church, that we, we not only understand God's design for the life of the redeemed family, but that we steward it well. We put it to work. And this is important not only because it will be a great blessing to you, but of how important God intends it to be for our testimony as the body of Christ for a watching world. The sad reality is all too many self-professed Christians and even many churches essentially are ignorant to the depth of the command on us to practice the one another's. It's, it's largely for many out of sight. It's not as central as the Lord in Scripture intends it to be. And so then, therefore, what many people know is their church experience, their, it is more just one of religious routines and, and some rhythms. It's more formal no wonder why many, I think, look at the church and these examples and just go, I'm not really interested in this formality. No, God's design is something wonderfully personal and intimate and involved. He wants us to enjoy the blessings that come with being a part of His redeemed eternal family. To prioritize these practices He's given us these practices of the one another's. And so I ask you personally, are you doing this? I mean really doing it. Doing it in such a way where you know what the one another's are and you are diligent to put them to work. Do you even know what they are? And if you do, are you faithful to do them? Last week I pressed on you with one of them as we talked about building each other up with our words and that our words for each other, our encouragement of each other is to be like breathing. It's to be such a normal part of how we operate. That we're excited to be around each other so I can encourage you. I can press you to Christ. I can build you up in Him. That, that, that that's a practice that's happening. I had some sweet testimony this week. Some of you sharing with me how you put that to work. Some of you created calendar reminders, and so you put it to work. And, and some of you shared some, some cool stories with me about people you reached out to encourage. And, and you know, one in particular was really sweet, this person they hadn't talked to in a while. And, and they just said, you don't even understand your timing for this and what I'm going through. And I'm so thankful for what this meant for me today. And it allowed them to move into some conversation that meant some real uh, gospel testimony and encouragement. And it's just it's so sweet. I love that. That's, that's, that's the point. And, and so I'm going to ask you, you don't have to raise your hand, you don't have to give me a report, but did you put that to work this week, Christian? Or are you guilty of remembering, oh yeah, I really was convicted by that, but then you didn't do anything with it. What does it take to not just be hearers of these things, but to be doers of them? To be accountable, to invite people near, to put into practice that I'm serious about this. I want to honor God with this.
slow with me this morning to really hear the one another. I want to, I want to give you a larger list of them to meditate over and to contemplate before we dig into the few that Paul gives us specifically today. Scripture says that we are to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. That we are to forgive one another. To speak God's truth to one another. To instruct one another. To teach and admonish one another. To exhort one another every day, not occasionally, every day. To live in harmony with one another. To encourage one another. To be in unity as members of one another. To stir up one another to love and good works. To bear with one another. To build up one another. To welcome one another. Show hospitality to one another. To value one another. To bear one another's burdens. To serve one another. To regard one another as more important than yourself. To not lie to one another. To not judge one another on Christian liberty issues. To not speak evil against one another. To not grumble against one another. To be humble toward one another. To have fellowship with one another in truth. And the one that's mentioned more than any of the rest, again and again, is that we are to love one another. Is this our testimony? Is this your testimony, your practice? Do you know these practices? Are you known for them? Are you putting them to work? As I read that list, which of these are you quick to make an excuse for why you don't do that? And maybe there's sin that needs to be repented of there. Maybe there's maturity to climb into. What does it look like to make that thing less about you and more about one another? How are we honoring God in these ways? I pray that you know these. I pray that you put them to practice. That we will be the church God intends us to be. That this will be the fruit of the Spirit. The, the work of Christ in and through us. Let's look closely at the three that Paul gives us here in verse 32. He says, be kind to one another. The word kind in our English translation is better translated useful in the Greek. So it's not just a being nice to each other. It's not just that. There, there's an activity of kindness. That we're, we're actually helpful. We're useful in our kindness. It makes its way. It goes to work. It's not just announced from across the room. I'm being kind to you. How is your selfless love showing kindness in that you are actively tending to each other in a helpful way. 
See, when you were dead in your sin, apart from Christ, all you wanted to be was selfish. You, you couldn't get around how it was just constantly about you. You wanted to be served. But when we're alive in Christ, the Lord is at work in us to shift that. Where now my first desire is to be a blessing to you. I'm not so wrapped up in making it have to be my way. I, I want to show up. I want to be, I see you coming near. I'm looking to be a blessing to you. To be kind to you. To care for you. When others look at the church, they need to see a radical kindness among us. A radical commitment to helping each other. That we're not distant. We're involved in each other's lives. We show up. Is this your practice, Christian? Are you looking for ways to be kind? Or are you quick to go, no, well, here's why that's not going to work for me. Here's why I'm not going to be really comfortable with that. Here's why that doesn't really fit my priorities. When you show up to activities or gatherings, are you looking for ways to be useful, to be kind to others? Or are you only looking for that activity, that gathering, to be good for you? And we're guilty of sometimes evaluating those things or you know, well, here's, here's what I got out of this. Here's what I didn't get out of it. And it's very focused on me instead of here's what I got to bring to this to my brothers and sisters. You've got to show care and kindness. Paul adds that we are to be tender-hearted towards one another. Being tender-hearted is the opposite of being hard-hearted and closed-handed. Are you quick to engage a brother or sister in a tender way, being open to them and their needs or where they're at, to care for them? Or, or are, you, are you quicker to be judgmental of them, to be a little more standoffish, to be closed off? Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 3.8, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, have sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Christian, do you see this kind of temperament that we are to have with each other? Unity, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Our flesh is all too quick to be prideful, to be short-tempered, to be impatient, to be mean, to be judgmental. I love to get to see moments when Christ is at work and the situation that's at hand, um, you know, the flesh would have done it differently, but when the Spirit's at work, there's, there's this touch, there's this, there's this way about you that's just different. Your flesh not taking hold. Evidence of Christ at work in you is there. It's our sinful flesh that causes us to be quick to assume the worst of each other. 
Are you tender-hearted towards your brothers and sisters? Or are you quick from a distance to assume where they're at, why they did what they did, and it's just full of judgment, it's full of just, it just keeps you distant. It's your sin at work. There should be a tenderness for each other. Not based on their performance, but based on Christ at work in you. Our flesh is prone to focus on ourselves. So when things don't go our way, we're quick to be upset or frustrated, short, grumpy, quick, too quick to bark or to bite. It's only Christ in us that will draw out a heart or a priority to engage our blood-bought family in the ways God prescribes. And so hear me clearly. You can't do this on your own. You won't do it. Your nature, your flesh, will go a different direction. It must be Christ in you. And so therefore, these call to fulfill the one another's it's not just a religious, you better do this better. That's a pull up your bootstraps. You'll only do that for so long. No, the, the, what feeds this action, what, what makes it a part of who you are, is Christ at work in you. So it's time in the Word to let the Word reorient your thinking and your, and your understanding. It's time in prayer to... Constantly be yielding to the Lord and walking with the Lord. It's time to invite brothers and sisters into your life and give them access to help you out of where you're trapped, where you're stuck, so that you would mature, so you would find your way out of these, this perpetual hole that you're in. God's given you the means. You can't do it on your own, but you must put those Christ priorities to work first and then and then you're changed from the inside out. The Spirit goes to work to produce this. It's a, joy to, it's a joy when you get to see it happening in your own life. And some of the, the drive, some of the accomplishment, some of the ownership in the ways I was shaped, some of the strength of my leadership. But it's been cool to see the way that over the years the Holy Spirit at work in this to bring out a different response that, that the world would not necessarily call strong leadership. But there's, there's a tenderness, there's a, there's a sacrifice, there's a patience with it. It doesn't have to go my way. There's a fruit in that. There's a joy in that. And, and I'll catch myself sometimes in those moments of the way the Lord's at work in me. And, and I'll kind of like look back at myself and go, that was you? You know, and it's like, praise God, it's cool. Look, look how that's coming out. And you want to grab one. I want more of that. I want that to be Christ in me and my response to my wife or my children, the neighbor, the coworker, the whatever. This is all of Paul continuing in this vein in chapter 4 of putting off the old man, putting on the new man in Christ. Listen how he says, very similar exhortation in his letter to the church in Colossae. Colossians 3, 12 and 13. See if you pick up on a lot of similarities to our, our focus in these verses here in, in Ephesians. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, 
compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Christian, why would we be kind and tender-hearted towards others? Because God has been abundantly kind and tender-hearted to you. Amen? It's Christ in me that moves this way. God's work in my life that sends me in a new direction. Don't put on religion. That, that's you trying to be a different person. Let Christ in you go to work. Let the Holy Spirit bring conviction and motivation unto these things. Feed your focus on the Spirit in the Word and in prayer and in unity with brothers and sisters. Praise God for His work in us. Let's look at what Paul says next. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. He continues, forgiving one another. This is a big one, church. This is a big one. In 20 plus years of pastoral ministry, I have come to see that this is one of the most important and primary purposes for our days right now under the sun in Christ. Your practice of forgiving others is one of the major reasons why God woke you up today and might wake you up tomorrow and put you to work. The gospel is so bright when we are forgiving. God is at work in and through us when we forgive in the most powerful ways. It is so antithesis for the flesh, for the worldly culture that's around us. It is truly one of the biggest ways the gospel is on display in our lives. Especially when we are forgiving people who do not deserve to be forgiven. So lead in, church. We need to rightly understand God's calling us to forgive one another. There's just too much at stake to play light with this one. And if you in any way are going, man, we've been here a dozen times. Pastor, I've heard you preach on this a dozen times. Yes, we needed a dozen more. This is just one that we cannot continue enough in to be refined, to be reformed, to climb into this all the more. Lord, may it be so. Let's start by defining forgiveness. I want us to see clearly this morning what forgiveness is, and I want to spend some time really looking at what forgiveness is not, because I think we really get it confused quite a bit. First, what is it to forgive someone? To forgive is to give up your possession of the debt. A debt has been created, a hurt, an offense. When you forgive that person, you give up your possession of the debt that was created. An expectation was not met. Someone hurt you, betrayed you, offended you, took from you. And now you possess a debt that was created by, those, by that offense. A hurt or an offense 
is the result of a missed expectation. The expectation was here. They delivered here. Whatever the gap is, that's the hurt. That's the debt that's created in the relationship. Your employee or your boss didn't do what they say they would do. So there's a debt there now that you possess. What are you going to do with it? Your child didn't do what they're supposed to do. There's a debt you hold now. Your friend betrayed you. Your mechanic lied to you. Realize that for someone to hurt you, it doesn't even necessarily mean they did something. You realize that many of the missed expectations are because they did nothing. And, and therefore, one of the things we've got to be very mindful of, church, is our expectations. Because sometimes the hurt that you have, the debt you hold, is because of misplaced expectations. You believed your boss should have given you a raise this quarter, even though your performance was lousy. You now have a debt that's there, but it's not because someone did something to you that was wrong. It's because your expectation was wrong. You had a, an expectation that that loved one would give you part of the inheritance or maybe a greater part of the inheritance. And so now you're upset. There's a debt there. But it's not necessarily because they did something wrong. They didn't owe you that. You were not obligated to that. They were free to choose. But you, you've now created this debt because your expectation was here and they underdelivered. So we got to be careful of that. I, in relationship counseling, I'll often go to a joking level, but I think it's actually very real. Is I could have expected you all to wear orange jumpsuits to church today. So I'm dealing with a lot of hurt right now because none of you did that. Right? And now i got to work, right? Do you see where that's not on you, that's on me. I put an expectation on you that's unhealthy. Right? And if you all do that next week, it's just going to be really weird. When a hurt or an offense has taken place in a relationship, now that relationship is in a state of conflict. There's a unity breakdown. It's not healthy. It's not, there's not harmony. A debt has been created. This debt, this discord, this separation, this frustration, this anger needs to be dealt with if we're going to be peacemakers as God calls us to. It must be dealt with if we're going to overcome the hurts of this life and not be defined or dragged down by them, but be defined by Christ. We must deal with them if we're going to value unity as the Lord's called us to have and to make every effort towards in the body of Christ. So the big question that comes up when you have this conflict, this hurt, this debt, is what do you do with it? You see that you now possess it. Now what do you do with it? Well, in our flesh, we can be guilty of doing something that's sinful in its response, which is to revenge it, to avenge it. The fleshly thinking is, well, you hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you back. And my, my fleshly logic is that's somehow going to even the playing field. I'm going to feel better about this so I can move on. <laughs> but it never works that way. You know, the guy who cut you off, whether he did it or not, you racing ahead at 100 miles an hour and slamming over and cutting him off doesn't fix the situation. 
doesn't make it better. Okay? And, and there's so many examples of that where we, you know, you hurt me, and so I'm going to give you the cold shoulder now, and, and not going to give you what you want, and I, I'm just, I'm just going to be hurt and miserable, and we're going to be miserable now in the meantime. There's, there's different ways that we, we do vengeance. And can I just point out that we are terrible at vengeance. We're terrible at it. In our flesh, we don't know how to do it rightly. God's Word is clear, Christian. Hear His command. Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Is there room to avenge a debt? No. Never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God. Why? Because the wrath of God is perfect. There is no fullness of wrath like God's. Do you get that? Because if you did, then why are you trying to do vengeance instead of letting Him do it? What does He say? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. We need to realize that revenging our hurt or our debt is not the answer. All you're doing is creating more hurt. So what do we do? Well, we go, okay, I'm trying to be smarter than this. I'm trying to put that away. And so what we can be guilty of doing then is instead of getting back at someone or trying to make them pay for it, we, we just bury it. We try to just move on. We try to just put it out of sight. Kind of throw it in the backpack and try to keep moving. Act like it's not there. The problem with this is you don't typically have just one of these. Where you just have one hurt or one form of debt. No, you have many relationships and sometimes many of these within one relationship and and so what happens is you're not, it's not just one thing, it's a whole truckload of stuff. And so if that's your resolve to the debt and the sin in other people's lives around you, you just become buried by it. And no wonder why you're grumpy all the time. No wonder why you're so quick and sharp to bite and to bark. Because you just can't breathe and you just are weighed down by it all this stuff that's happened. When I'm doing marriage counseling, I'll, I'll use softballs to, to display the hurts and I'll put them in my arms and I'll show how we just become inundated and even just trying to hold them and keep myself from being exposed. I'm dealing with all this. I'm trying to keep it together. And then in moments, in 30 seconds, in a minute, half my back is aching. And no wonder why 30 days later or five years later, I'm just a bear. And the other thing I think is you're trying to hold it up and, and I got my hands like this. I'm like, come here and give me a hug. And like, now this is your relational availability. Because you're carrying all this stuff. This is not God's answer for this, for sin, for debt, for, for hurts. We're not to bear it. 
You lie about the gospel. You, you deny the commands of the Lord to go about it this way. And I'll point out, sometimes we think, well, I'm going to keep this one because I'm going to need to remind you of it later that this is what's going to keep me from getting hurt again this way. But the problem is, who are you hurting? Not the other person who's living their own life. You're, you're more than anyone hurting yourself, hurting your testimony. The Bible is very clear when someone sins against you, not to bury it, to forgive them, to go to a brother and get it worked out. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him. Be proactive. Don't let that division exist. Live at peace with everyone as much as it depends on you, Scripture says. If you're offering your gift at the altar, remember your brother has something against you. Leave the gift before him at the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Church, our unity... The truth about the gospel at work in us is so important to God that we stop actively worshiping Him to worship Him by being reconciled, by forgiving, by not trying to say, I'm good with God, glory to God, I'm living for Jesus, but I'm carrying a truckload of this junk around. See the hypocrisy of that. How can you restore your relationship with that person if you keep holding on to their debt, their sin, their misstep? Some of you are good at this. Constantly circling back. Remember when? Holding it over their head. The reality is you don't reconcile the relationship when you stay in that state. In order for reconciliation and true healing to happen, you must practice forgiveness. So we don't avenge it. We don't bury it. We heed God's command for we who belong to Christ, and that is we forgive one another. We forgive one another fully and regularly. Before I get into what forgiveness is, how we do it. Let me take a second and, and clarify what forgiveness is not. I'm going to fly through these quickly. Number one, as you're contemplating forgiveness, you need to know that forgiveness is not fair. And just in case you don't know yet, life is not fair. The very best thing that's ever happened in this life, the gospel is not fair. The Holy Son of God took on flesh, endured all of our human struggles without sin, only to willingly substitute Himself in the place of us undeserved sinners to pay for our debts when we were actively His enemy so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have eternal life with God. In no way did we deserve this. In no way was this fair. What was fair was God's wrath on us for our sin. That's what is fair. That's what we were owed. Christian, you've got to 
do business with your claim to fair. Fair is for people who are trying to earn their way through life. Religious people get caught up in fair. I deserve this. You don't deserve that. When you're thinking that way, you're thinking religiously. You're not thinking through a gospel lens. Trying to get rid of your overgrip on life, needing to be fair. If you don't, you will struggle to forgive others. And I would just say, if you're big into fair, you're just going to struggle through life altogether. So see that forgiveness is not fair. If you're looking for fair, you're not going to be motivated to forgive, and it's all, it's all for naught. We've got to see that rightly. Number two, forgiveness is not approving or diminishing sin. It's not saying, well, it's okay. It's not really a big deal. You ever seen this in your children? They get upset and get them together and encourage them to forgive each other. I forgive you. It's okay. Now, what's being said there is very important. Very specific. What should not be said there is that what was done that was sinful is okay. Because it's not. What they are saying, what needs to be said, is that it's okay between us now because I forgive you. We're okay. But be careful to say it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. Selfish, fleshly sin is a big deal. It's such a big deal that the Holy Son of God had to die for it. So don't dishonor the cross of Jesus or approve or diminish something that required the death of the Son of God in our place, it's not okay. It's not okay, but I truly forgive you. That's what we need to say. We're okay now. Number three, forgiveness is not ignoring sin. Some choose to see forgiveness as weak. It's a cop-out in their eyes. And so maybe, you know, you're trying to wrestle to figure this out. You can have a friend or a family member who is an addict. You can forgive them, but not enable them. You need to see forgiving is not enabling. It's not ignoring sin. It's not giving permission for it to run rampant. Forgiveness is not denying wrongdoing. We don't say, it didn't happen, I forgot all about it, I just moved on, I I pretended like it never happened. That's not true forgiveness. Forgiveness is, it happened, it was wrong, but it's not between us anymore. The debt is forgiven. We don't need to get into this worldly idea of denial or, again, stuffing the herd is really where that goes. If you don't truly forgive it, it's going to resurface later. Forgiveness says, what you did was wrong and without excuse, but since God's forgiven me, I truly and fully forgive you. You owe me nothing. Number four, forgiveness is not waiting for an apology. Sometimes people say, I'm going to forgive them as soon as they say they're sorry. 
And I hate to break it to you, some people are never going to apologize. Some people are going to continue their destructive, rebellious, and foolish life course. Some people are going to be stubborn. They're going to be self-righteous and struggle to confess or admit they're wrong. Some people are going to move away. You're never going to speak to them again. Some people are going to die before they ever repent that they did wrong to you. And some people don't even know they hurt you. Right? So how, how are they to say, I'm sorry, for something they don't even realize they did? Church, you don't make people earn your forgiveness with an apology. Praise God that He didn't do that to us. Because you would have never been forgiven. He didn't make us earn it. Forgiveness is a gift. You don't earn a gift. It's given as an act of grace. It's God's grace and love and work through us. Now, should confession happen? Yes, it should happen. It should. We should see our sin. We should confess it. As Christians, we should own that. When God gives us eyes to see and ears to hear, we see our sin. And it comes out, Lord, I I have sinned. This is wrong. Forgive me. And as Christians, we should practice confession. But I'm here to say clearly, you are equipped to forgive even when someone doesn't apologize. You are the possessor of the debt, not them. It's your choice. Choose to lay it down. Choose to not be burdened by it any longer. Don't have a bank of people's stuff that you're carrying through a lifetime. I counseled a man one time dealing with issues with his dad over 30 years. I hadn't talked to him in decades. And just the ongoing like just way of this relationship that was all wrong and the hurt. And I just go, brother, you got to forgive him. I know you don't even talk to him. Forgive him truly in the power of Christ. Forgive him so that when he comes to knock on your door, if and when he comes to knock on your door one day, like the father of the prodigal son, you, you don't even need him to say anything. You just get to say, I've forgiven you. They don't need to earn it. It's just, this is where I'm at. Christ in me has caused me to forgive you. Let that gospel testimony be set up to fly. Number five, forgiveness is not forgetting. One of the great Christian myths, when you forgive someone, you will forget. Sometimes, God willing, you'll forget. A lot of you know this. You know this because you can't remember a lot of the junk of your past. By God's grace, He's allowed you to forget. Praise God. But many times you don't forget. And, and a part of that is because it's part of your testimony. Here is who I was. Wretched. I, the best part of a mature Christian's testimony is their ability to talk about wretched stuff of their past. That when that stuff was their identity, there's no way they would say it. But because their identity is now fixed in Christ, they're able to say, let me tell you how nasty it was. It was wretched, putrid, terrible. But look at what Christ has done. 
Look who I am now in Christ. Right? Don't think forgiveness is simply choosing to forget about it. That's not forgiveness. That's another form of just burying it. Forgiveness is an active, conscious choice. It's a deliberate course of action. I forgive the debt. I no longer possess it. This is not between us anymore. If you were raped, if you were molested, if you were abandoned, if you were beaten, if you were abused, if you were cheated on, if you were betrayed, if you were lied about, you often don't forget those things. But you can be healed of them. Forgiveness sets the table for true healing. That you're whole again. That stuff doesn't... It's, it's not affecting your life. You're solid in Christ. You're whole. You might have the reminder every day that that drunk driving that night that caused your daughter to have mental brain damage for the rest of her life, every day she's with you is a reminder of that sin that night. But you can be whole in Christ. Healed. Have a new identity in Him where that reminder, that absence of forgetting, does not affect you. Because forgiveness has happened. You've been forgiven. Depending on the hurt, it may scar. But the hurt goes away because the healing happens in Christ. I think about Christ. Christ, Jesus, Raised from death and conquered the grave victorious. Our victorious and risen Lord still has the scars. His scars are the reminder of the greatest hurt, the greatest offense in human history. But he was healed, whole. It was finished. It's forgiven. And in Christ, because of Christ, you too can be healed. Number six, forgiveness is not neglecting justice. You can forgive someone and then call the police on them. I'm serious. You can forgive someone and testify the truth of what really happened in court. They don't get to say, hey, I thought you forgave me, so now I expect for you to lie. No. I forgave you. you. You and I don't have anything between us. But the law needs to hold you accountable for this thing that you're doing. There will be consequences on the horizontal. You and I are good. I do forgive you. But you committed a crime. You broke the law. And so you'll face the consequences that the law has for you. But you owe me nothing. We're good. Forgiveness is not neglecting justice. Forgiveness is not trusting. I get this all the time. My family member abused my son. He said he's sorry. I forgave him. Should, should he babysit my son tomorrow? No. My boyfriend beat me up really bad. He said he's sorry. Should we just pick up where we left off and keep going? No, probably not. No. You should forgive him. Absolutely. 
Forgiveness should happen quickly, fully. But trust in many of the situations needs to be earned. Forgiveness is not necessarily trusting. Many times it is right to jump right back in, to give trust again. Many times that's the way that should go. We shouldn't play games with each other where we're like constantly holding all this. No, I mean, but, but there are times and situations where trust needs to be earned. We're to long for and make room for unity. This is Jesus' point when he says we are to turn the other cheek. Someone offends you, you're turning the other cheek is not an invitation to say, slap me on this side. It's to say, I'm quickly, immediately looking forward to the restoration of our relationship. I'm here to forgive you and then to begin the process of moving forward to unity again. I'm not, I'm not going to keep you from that. I want us to be holy in Christ. So I'm turning their cheek so we can move forward. Sometimes that means I fully trust you again. Here we go. And sometimes it means there's some trust that needs to be earned. But you're engaged. It doesn't mean you disengage. I've used the illustration for a long time. Um, my predecessor used it years ago. It's just a helpful illustration. You borrow my car and you go out and try to do donuts in it and you wrap it around a pole and you were being stupid and you come back and say, I'm sorry, I wrecked your car. Completely totaled. You don't even want to see it. It's really bad. But I'm glad you have insurance and I hope you forgive me. Okay, all right, here's my keys. No more car. Okay, yes, I forgive you. You don't owe me anything. And we're good. So then when you say, hey, so can I borrow your other car? No, you can't. You just did donuts in my car last night. We need to rebuild this relationship with some steps in a different direction. Let me help you get a ride, right? Let me give you some bus money. Let me drive you myself. But you see how you're not disengaging. You're still engaging. You've turned the other cheek. You're moving back to unity. The unity that Christ has died for us to have. Forgiveness happens and we work towards unity. And then eventually they maybe prove, hey, you can borrow my skateboard. You bring that back good. You borrow my bike. You bring that back good. And maybe in weeks or months, I'm loaning you my car again. Right? We can have a relationship, but there's just might be certain things where you know where it's just taking time based on how you're doing for that trust to get back there. But forgiveness needs to happen fully. Number eight, forgiveness is not reconciliation. It takes one person to repent, confess their sin, turn from it. It takes one person to forgive. You don't need the other person to forgive them. You possess the debt. It's your job to forgive them. The command is on you. But it takes two people to reconcile. Forgiveness is the first step in reconciliation. You, you can't have reconciliation without forgiveness. If, if, if you don't forgive them and you try to do reconciliation, it's superficial and you're not going to make real progress. Can I just say to you, don't wait for them to do reconciliation. It starts with you. You start. You forgive. You initiate moving forward in unity. You honor God when you do that. Do they deserve that? Probably not. But you honor God when you do that. 
One of the evidences you have not forgiven someone, you're stuck in the past, constantly replaying, angry, upset. Maybe you're experiencing a certain level of isolation, ongoing relationship breakdown. Maybe you're just emotionally a wreck because you're carrying it. You haven't forgiven it. Here's the big question. How do you, how do I forgive someone who does not deserve to be forgiven? By what power do we do this? And Paul gives us the answer here. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You must see fully and rightly that you are forgiven. Colossians 1, 13 and 14, For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Possessors of the forgiveness of sins. Look at chapter 2, Colossians 2, 13-14. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. Our certificate of debt, nailed to the cross, forgave us all our sins. Christian, you must understand you are forgiven in Christ. You do not need to go to God to ask Him to forgive you. You are forgiven. Past, present, and future sins, you are fully and perfectly paid for by Christ. You are forgiven. To deny that, Ignore that. Play light with that is to deny the gospel. It's to not understand your identity in Christ. It's to somehow say yay to what he's done and I have Jesus, but I'm still living out this religious identity where this gospel testimony is not coming through me because forgiveness that's happened, I'm not living it out. This is why you don't need to forgive yourself. You need to rightly see that the perfect, holy God has forgiven you. It's only arrogance in light of that to think that you need to forgive yourself. Think about that. You are forgiven. What you need to do is see how you are forgiven in Christ. See your identity in Christ. Don't separate the gospel from this self-help routine that you need to forgive yourself. No, you don't need self-help rituals. You need the gospel to speak in and through you, to, to identify you and transform your thinking. That You see you are forgiven. So healing can begin. So you can move forward in gospel identity. Look at chapter 3, Colossians 3, 12-13. Then put on as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, 
bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Christian, you are able to forgive those who don't deserve to be forgiven because you understand you didn't deserve to be forgiven. But you are forgiven in Christ. And so you must forgive those who offend and hurt you. God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, we were still actively sinning against him. Christ died for us. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of the Son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. We were active. We had a lifetime of it. Whatever sin or offense or hurt has happened to you, whatever that has happened over amount of time or even years, does not compare to the slightest of the amount of offense that you had against the perfect, holy God. So who are you to receive His forgiveness and then say, but no, I'm going to keep this debt against you, father, daughter, friend, enemy. I'm thankful to be forgiven. Praise Jesus. Not going to forgive you. This cannot be. God's work in the gospel doesn't end with you. It's a movement. It's a movement of people who forgive. It's the power of grace that moves and transforms lives, relationships, homes, communities. If a wretched, wicked enemy of God is defined by my practice of sin against him has been forgiven then surely I can forgive my neighbor, my sister, my mother, my daughter, my friend, my enemy, my spouse. What if they don't deserve it? Right? We keep coming back to that. What if they don't get it? I would maybe contend that they don't ever deserve it. They hurt you. They did something wrong. You and I didn't deserve what God gave us in the slightest, but His mercy and His grace went to work. He forgave us. My question to you is, are you doing this? Not occasionally, but regularly. My question to you this morning is, who do you need to forgive? It starts with the heart. It starts with the gospel at work in you. Stop holding that hurt. Stop holding that debt. You must do this to honor God. That our testimony as the church would be united. 
people will sinfully leave our church and break our one another because they won't forgive. People will sinfully leave our church and break our one another because they assume wrongly they won't be forgiven. Church, hear me clearly today. We are commanded to forgive each other. You will be forgiven. We elders, our job is to help assure that that will happen. We are to be accountable to this. It must be seen through. If you belong to Christ, you don't get to be the possessor of other people's sin. If you have messed up royally, this Disciples Church family will forgive you. Some of you are thinking, if I forgive them, where's the justice? And so again, you need to understand, justice will be perfectly had by the one who wields wrath and justice perfectly. See, either Jesus will pay for that sin in perfect justice on their behalf because they belong to him. And to say, well, maybe that's not enough. Don't say that. Think about what you're saying if you say that. You're saying that what Jesus did then on their behalf was not enough? Shame on you. That is to think of the cross in an arrogant, disrespectful light. Jesus will, will take on that wrath. Justice will be served if they belong to him. Or they will take on that wrath for eternity under God's perfect justice. You can't touch that with a ten-foot pole. Justice will be had, Christian. Don't make light of either of those roads. God is just. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. How do you know you truly forgave them? You truly gave up your heart, your hurt. You forgave the debt. You know because the hostility, the resentment, the hurt, the anger, when they show up, you're not like, oh no, there they are. Or when you're reminded of the scar, you're not like all undone again. No, there's healing that happens where the debt's not between you anymore. There might be a reminder of it. At at a minimum, I've told people, maybe there's just a sadness that that it ever happened, just as, as sin in general is not to be something we rejoice in. But there's not something between you. That's how you know it's truly forgiven. That person comes around or that thing comes up and you're all worked up again. There's a good sign there you have not really forgiven them. There's not that peace in you, that healing that the Lord does when we really forgive. You still have that hurt, that debt in your arsenal. If you truly forgave them, you're not going to hang it over their head doesn't mean you don't talk about it, but you don't talk about it in a way where, where you're like, you hang it over their head like they still owe you. The question this morning is, will you and I participate in the kingdom practice of forgiveness? So that you're not weighted down and carrying hurt. So that relationships among us are renewed and restored. So that God is honored and the gospel is 
testified of rightly. Church, forgiveness is a lifestyle. Matthew 18, 21 through 22, Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother sin against me? How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Up to seven times, he says. Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Jesus says, clearly, this forgiveness is to be a lifestyle for people who belong to him. For those of you still not convinced, let me just say it really specifically. You, if you belong to Christ and you choose to not forgive, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says in Matthew 6, that those who forgive others have the Father's forgiveness. Biblically, it would be a right testimony that if you claim to have the forgiveness of Christ but you won't forgive others, I would argue biblically you don't have the forgiveness of Christ. It is to go to work in such a way that the evidence of you belonging to Christ and having his forgiveness is that forgiveness is at work in you. So yes, for those of you who are saying, but what about this one? Yes, that one too. Now hear me clearly. Forgiveness is not a work we do to earn God's forgiveness. By no work of man do we earn God's grace and forgiveness. But the practice of forgiveness is the evidence of a man who has received the ultimate forgiveness. True and regular forgiveness flows from a heart that is satisfied with the mercy of God, rejoicing in the cancellation of his own deadly debt. It is the fruit of the Spirit that lives within the redeemed. The command on the redeemed is simple. We are to forgive. We are to forgive often. If you have not forgiven someone, Christian, then it needs to be a priority in your life to do this. If you're struggling, seek counsel. Go to the Lord in prayer. I ask you today, Christian, are you, is there hurts you're still holding on to? Missed expectations that you really need to forgive? In what ways do you still need to forgive your parents, your spouse, your kids, co-worker, old friend, neighbor? Practicing forgiveness is one of the most important things you do with your days. It is a huge part of our testimony here as disciples of Christ. And I can't wait to see what God's going to do in and through us as we put it to work. Love you. I, I'm excited to see the fruit of this. Let us walk this together as we seek to honor and live for our Lord. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together this morning. 
We thank You for the amazing grace that has set us free. I mean, we did not deserve to be forgiven. Guilty of sin for a lifetime. Perpetual sinners. Professional sinners. Offenders of You. And You paid the highest price, the blood of the Son, that we would be forgiven. Let us not make a mockery of that by being the keeper of others' sin. Let us forgive, Lord. Let the gospel move in and through us in a new way today that forgiveness goes to work. That we see that we are forgiven and that we would forgive others. Lord, for anyone in this place who has not confessed their sin and seen the beauty of this gospel of Jesus' death in their place, that they too would confess their sin and trust their lives to Jesus and be forgiven and be saved and be made new, empowered with the Holy Spirit to then go to practice forgiving others and be freed and healed of these things they've carried for a lifetime. Oh God, we praise you for the fruit of this work in and through us. Lord, let us practice these one another's in a way that honors you and makes much of your name. Hear us as we celebrate this gospel news in our hearts and our lives and with our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.